Compression is about making data take up less space. Today we'll explain how compression works and why it's important. Welcome to Copec Explained Software, the podcast where we make computing intelligible. This week, Dave, we're looking a little bit into computer science theory, and we're going to talk about compression. Let's start with what is compression? Compression is a classic trade-off between time and space. It takes some time to compress digital data. However, it saves space. And we're constrained both in terms of time and space. So those are the main two kinds of resources that we think about in computer science. For example, you have some file that's a gigabyte, and you want to send it to a friend. Well, if you send the whole gigabyte, that's going to take more time than if you send the compressed file. Maybe you're able to compress it to the point where it only takes up 400 megabytes. Now you send your friend the 400 megabyte file, and that takes less time to transmit. However, it took you some time to compress it, and it's also going to take your friend some time to decompress it. So it's a trade-off between how big the file is and how much time it takes to compress it and decompress it. And there are algorithms and file formats that are used to do this. Yeah, there are many different compression algorithms and file formats, and we won't get into the specifics of them today. But some that you might have seen that you're probably familiar with are things like Zip, which is built into macOS and Windows. There's a utility where you can right-click any file on your computer and say, I want to zip this file. Gzip, it's a popular format in the Unix world. It also is one of the formats that's built into many web servers. Many web servers can automatically transmit their data compressed, and then it will be decompressed by your web browser before it's displayed. So these are just some common ones you might have heard about, but there are many, many, many more formats than that. So the algorithm is the way in which it's compressed, and then the format is how you store that? Right, that's right. So we might say the algorithm that something uses is, let's say, LZMA. That's one of the algorithms. And zip might be the file format where we actually put all the data and how we know how the data is organized on disk. But LZMA is the way that we figured out how to rearrange the data so that it takes up less space. We talked a little bit about compression in our episode about um, lossless audio. So can you tell us again a little bit about lossless and lossy? Yeah, there's two broad categories of compression. There's lossless compression where you lose no data. So you have the compressed file, and then when you uncompress it, you get back exactly the original. So nothing was lost. All you got was something smaller that you had to run through the decompression algorithm to get back to the original. In lossy compression, you lose some information. So you have the original, you compress it. Obviously, the reason you did that is to get a smaller file or a smaller bit of data. But now you actually lost some of the original information and you can't get it back. You can't take the lossy compressed file and turn it back into the original. You can only now use it in its new lossy form. The reason we do this is sometimes a lossy algorithm can actually have a much higher compression ratio than a lossless algorithm, meaning that the final data or final file will take up a lot less space. And we actually use lossy compression all the time. As we talked about on that prior episode, MP3 files are a form of lossy compression. What happens in a lot of audio compression algorithms is 
a lot of the data that the human ear can't really detect, that's not that useful for actually playing back the sound, is removed. However, some people might be able to hear some of those frequencies, and so it's not actually the exact original that we're getting when we play back the lossy compressed file. We're getting an approximation that's close enough and good enough that most people can't tell the difference. So what types of things are typically compressed? Yeah, we already mentioned audio files. That's, of course, common. Almost all common image formats have some kind of compression, whether you're using JPEG or PNG, portable network graphics, or you're using GIF, GIF, or any common image file format generally has some kind of compression. And some of them use lossy compression and some of them use lossless compression. JPEG, for example, or the .jpg or .jpeg extension, as you may see it, uses lossy compression. So you actually are losing a little bit of data when you see a JPEG image usually. And that's what most cameras take. Most cameras take most digital cameras and store files in JPEG format. However, a lot of cameras have the option to also take their photos in raw format. And that's a format where you're not losing anything. And then later on, you can go and convert those raw files into JPEG files before you distribute them to your friends or over the internet so that they take up less space. Also videos, almost everything you watch in streaming video or even um, video that you might have on a DVD is actually compressed. And usually that's also a kind of lossy compression. And a lot of, of course, just when you download a program on the internet, or I mentioned earlier that a lot of web browsers have built-in support for compression. So you're actually using compression almost every time you use the internet. There's some kind of compression going on. And a lot of it might be behind the scenes and you're not even aware of it. It might not just be that you're downloading a zip file and then expanding it. It might be that while the data is being transmitted, the data was actually compressed and then uncompressed when it got to you. And that was all seamless and behind the scenes done by the program on your end, your client, and the program on the server, and you never even realize that compression was happening. But compression really enables us to have a lot more on the internet than we would have if compression didn't exist because bandwidth is limited. We only have so much bandwidth, and a lot of us are on network connections where if it wasn't for compression, we couldn't even watch, let's say, 4K video. So we really need compression to enable a lot of the rich experiences that we have on the internet today. Well, compression and then decompression speed is also important. Yeah, I'm using the term compression kind of for both things, but you're absolutely right. There, there's two different things here. There's the point where you take the original data and turn it into the compressed form, and then there's the point where you turn the compressed form back into the original data, and that's what we call decompression. And these algorithms will differ in how fast they are at compression versus decompression. Some of the algorithms are better at compression, and some of the algorithms are better at decompression. If you think about it in broad terms, for a lot of applications, decompression is actually more important than compression. Let me tell you why. Let's say you want to stream a video to millions of people. It's originally going to be compressed and put on the server only one time. So that compression is only going to happen once. But then that file is going to be transmitted over the internet to millions of different people. And every one of those millions of different people needs to decompress it. So it's going to be decompressed millions of times. So how fast the decompression is is actually more important a lot of the time than how fast the compression is because the decompression happens so much more often. So there's trade-offs between different algorithms. There are situations where they're equally important. For example, if you're in a one-on-one -on -one video conference with one other person and the data is being compressed before it gets sent to the other person, it's just as important how fast it is to compress as it is how fast it is to decompress. 
So it really, which algorithm you choose might depend on what kind of application you're trying to do. Can you tell us a little bit about how compression algorithms work? Yeah, uh, there's so many different ones that we can't get into all the details, but I will talk in broad strokes about two of the major techniques. One technique is called run length encoding. Here's the idea. If you see the same bit of data over and over and over again, let's just say one time that this bit of data is gonna keep repeating itself. For example, if you have an image and there's, let's say, a purple pixel, and the next like 1,000 pixels are all gonna be purple, maybe it's the background, okay? So then instead of saying purple, purple, purple 1,000 times, why don't we just say purple and then say somehow have some way of representing purple and then the number 1,000? That's gonna take a lot less data, a lot fewer bytes. And if you don't know what a byte is, by the way, we have an earlier episode that I'll link to in the show notes about what is a byte. But anyway, so it's gonna be a lot less data just saying purple 1,000 times than it is to literally write out the data about the purple pixel 1,000 times. So that's what's called run length encoding. Then another really popular technique is called dictionary-based compression. Here's the idea. If we have a term and it's kind of long, what and it's gonna repeat itself maybe a few times in the data, maybe many times in the data, why don't we, instead of rewriting that term over and over again, have some much smaller term that represents it, and then we'll just write the smaller term. Let me give you an example. Let's say you had the nursery rhyme, Mary has a little lamp. Is that what it is, or is Mary had a little lamp? Has a little lamp. Mary has a little lamp. So, no, I think it's had. Mary had a little lamp. Mary had a little lamp. Anyway, in that uh, nursery rhyme, the word Mary, or the name Mary, repeats itself many times, right? And Mary, if you think about it in computer data form, is going to be four letters, which is usually in most text encodings, four bytes. And by the way, we did a previous episode on what is a text encoding that I'll also link to in the show notes. So that's going to use up four bytes. But what if instead I just said to you, and this is just arbitrary, but I said to you, the number 140 represents the word Mary. The number 140 I can store in just one byte. So now I've gone from four bytes for Mary to one byte for Mary. It just means I'll have to have a dictionary somewhere or a table you can think about it as where I look up, oh, 140 represents Mary. Now, if you think about other words that might be in Mary had a little lamb, like for example, little or lamb, and we also reduce those to let's say single bytes instead of a few bytes for each of those words, then we're able to reduce even further. And so if we take a lot of these big pieces of the nursery rhyme and we convert them into these smaller pieces that then we use a table to look up what they represent when we decompress, we can actually compress quite a bit. For example, the 140 for using that number for Mary instead of the four letters, that's one byte instead of four bytes, we would say that's a 75% compression ratio because we've decreased how much data is used by 75%. So this is very powerful, and some algorithms will use the combination of both. So they'll use run length encoding with a dictionary-based technique together to get even higher ratios of compression. Those aren't the only ways to compress, but those are two of the most common techniques for compression that these algorithms use. How do you choose which file format to use? So a lot of times it is just convenience. So some of these files, you're not gonna decide, right? If you're storing a JPEG, it has its built-in algorithm it uses, and if you're saving something as an MP3, there's a standard algorithm. But when you have your own files and you need to then bundle them together in some kind of compressed format, oftentimes people just go for convenience. So because Windows and Mac OS 
have zip compression built in, people just use zip compression. Doesn't mean they're necessarily the best technique for the job, but you wanna have compatibility. You wanna know that once you've compressed that file, when you send it to somebody else, they're gonna have zip built into their operating system and be able to easily decompress it. So that's of course just the default, and that's what most people do. However, there are these trade-offs. So there's other formats like 7-zip is pretty popular actually on the Windows side. There's formats like bzip and gzip and all these different formats that have different trade-offs about speed of compression versus decompression versus compression ratio. And they might not, it might not always be that zip is actually the best choice, but it's often the most convenient choice. So I would recommend to most people not to really worry about this too much. You don't wanna use some super esoteric format, especially if you're archiving data, because 10 years from now, if it's hard to obtain on whatever platform people are computing on 10 years from now, the uh, program that can decompress that format, that's gonna be annoying. So it's not a bad idea to just kind of stick with zip for most of your work. How does hardware interact with compression? Is there any piece of hardware that helps compression happen? Yeah, so a lot of compression is done in software and then just via your general purpose CPU and your machine that that software runs on. However, a lot of some modern hardware, not all modern hardware, but some modern hardware and some modern microprocessors have built-in compression accelerators. So they will have hardware that knows some of the common algorithms, sometimes the algorithms for specific purposes. And this could really accelerate the rate of compression or decompression. And it can really take something that was going to really peg your CPU, use up a ton of your CPU, and mean that the rest of your computer is just like slows to a crawl because it's your CPU is working so hard on doing the decompression to something that's actually like uh, flies by and you hardly notice it's happening because there's this built-in hardware accelerator. And in fact, a lot of modern graphics cards and modern microprocessors will have built-in accelerators for common video formats. And this enables those video formats to play back or even sometimes for compression to be done in uh, real time or uh, even faster than real time. So these accelerators have become quite commonplace as digital video has become commonplace. All right, thanks for listening to us this week. We look forward to having you back with us next week. Rebecca, how can people get in touch with us on Twitter? We're at Kopec Explains, K-O-P-E-C-E-X-P-L-A-I-N-S. Don't forget to hit follow or subscribe, and we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening.